0: And welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience.
1: And this is Trisha. and I'm really glad that we're no longer in the age of having to yell Gardy Lou on a daily basis.
0: Why would we want to yell that?
1: Well, back in the day before they had like indoor plumbing or plumbing pretty much at all, when they would um, throw out their bucket their chamber pot if you will of their window they would yell guardy lou
0: as sort of like look out below here comes some poop and pee that's disgusting it is and i am glad also that we are not in that age anymore
1: totally totally gross so anyways thank you for listening
0: to addicted
1: to murder charlie cullen part two and courtney's gonna go over our social media
0: Yes. And again, before we go into it, thank you all who already follow and message, and like and review and all of those wonderful things. We appreciate you. But if for some reason you still haven't checked us out on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Addicted to M on Facebook or Twitter at Addicted to Murder or you can shoot us an email at Addicted to Murder at gmail.com. Thank you, Courtney. Um, So now
1: that we've done that, it's question segment time, and this is my question. Courtney, when you were a kiddo, what was the first series of books that you remember reading?
0: I remember um, my sister at the time, because she's older than me, was reading The Babysitter's Club, and I eventually did too, but me being younger... I was reading the Babysitter's Club Little Sister series that talks about Christie's little sister who was, I think, in like first or second grade at the time, mm. which is about the age that I was when I was reading this. And so that definitely stands out as something that I remember.
1: I remember my first series of books um, being Sweet Valley Twins, which was when Jessica and Elizabeth were, were in middle school. And then as I got older, I moved on to Sweet Valley High and Sweet Valley University and Sweet Valley this, that, and the other, and I watched the TV show. And recently, in the past, like, 10 years, the creator, Francine Passel, came out with Sweet Valley Confidential, which was when Jessica and Elizabeth are in their 30s. Ooh. And they're, like, making, making life, making love, cheating on each other's husbands, and it's a whole lot of drama.
0: Well, I mean, those twins seem to find a whole lot of drama. Oh, especially all the time. Jessica. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure.
1: But, you know.
0: Well, anyways, that was our question segment. Thank
1: you, Courtney. And will you do a quick overview of Charlie Cole in part one?
0: Yes. So last week, we learned about little Charlie, who experienced a horrific childhood from infancy all the way through the end, just ripe with abuse and neglect and death. Um, And it was pretty awful. He had lost both of his parents by the time he was a senior in high school. He had a stint in the Navy. He had multiple suicide attempts. And we left off right where he had just gotten married to his first love and was about to start his very first job as a nurse. Okay,
1: so in October 1987, Charlie and his new bride, Adrian, bought a small house near the town of Phillipsburg, New Jersey. Adrian was working days and Charlie was working nights. And when they were home together, Charlie was often in the basement and he was drinking. He would keep his booze locked in a footlocker um, down there. So remember, Courtney surmised that Charlie, Charlie may suffer from borderline personality disorder and people with this disorder do often um, have substance abuse problems as a way to cope with their trauma amongst other things. Um, So by February of 88, so not much, not much later, Adrian was pregnant with their first child and they named her Shauna. And after Shauna was born, uh, Charlie really cooled down to his wife, uh, meaning that he just didn't seem interested in the marriage anymore or in Adrian anymore. Um, So he would... He, he, it was like almost like he preferred to be drinking than being with his wife. So what started out as a fulfilling marriage had really regressed to you know, seeing less and less of each other, and when they did see each other, Charlie was oftentimes checked out. That's what Shauna would say, like he wasn't there mentally. So if he does indeed have borderline personality disorder, this could be what is known as the devaluation stage towards his wife so courtney do you want to explain a little bit about the idealization and devaluation that people with borderline personality that's a a big word people with borderline personality disorder often express we saw in the beginning of their world romance the um whirlwind romance that the idealist i apologize i am on um allergy medication today so We saw in the beginning of their whirlwind romance, the idealization phase. So the love bombing that Charlie did, the gifts, moving really quickly to marriage, all of that.
0: Yeah, so just a little bit of background around borderline personality disorder. So it's typically developed in response to pretty significant childhood trauma. Um, And so the DSM-5, which again is the, you know, diagnostic Bible of Um, the mental health field, it lays out the specific characteristics of BPD, which include intense fear of abandonment, unstable sense of self and self-image, unstable and disruptive relationships, impulsive and self-destructive behaviors like substance abuse, theft, unsafe sex, etc., emotional mood swings, intense anger, feelings of emptiness, and chronic and repeated self-harm and suicidal behaviors. So, a key feature of borderline personality disorder is kind of having a disorganized attachment style, which Id- oscillates between idealizing and devaluing the other person in a relationship. So, on one end of the spectrum, the idealization phases includes sort of intense feelings of love and admiration, thoughts like this is the best person in the world. They are perfect, they're all I need to be happy, um, etc. And then a need really to be around this person as much as possible. But then when that person inevitably shows that they are in fact not perfect, um, particularly if they do or say something that the person with BPD interprets as being abandonment or angering, they can switch very quickly to devaluation. And during this phase, a person with BPD kind of can just turn on their partner, becoming very angry and hostile, cutting off contact, and blaming their partner for real or imagined injustices. And really, this can be like a switch is flipped. And you know how a person with BPD feels about their partner can change almost instantly between the two. So as a result, it can be very difficult to be in a long-term relationship.
1: That's true, especially if they don't know they have BPD and they are not working on ways to uh, change their behaviors, which Charlie was not.
0: Right. And it would be so hard for Adrian Mm -hmm. to be like, I have no idea what I just did to make him hate me today.
1: Yep. So they also had two dogs during this time, little Yorkshire Terriers that at first Charlie was very excited about, but then seemed to grow bored of. In fact, one of them disappeared from the house, and Charlie surmised the dog must have gotten out when he went for a walk while the baby was sleeping. Yes, he left the baby alone and went for a walk, and he left the front door open as well, and that's how the dog got out and ran away. Charlie said he knew the baby would not wake up, and this prompted Adrian to wonder if Charlie had given something to the baby to keep it asleep. She had earlier suspicions that Charlie would drug the baby with cold medicine to make her to make the baby sleep. So they fought over it, and he would deny it. And Adrian said the only way she knew her husband was even home at this point was if the car was in the driveway. Um, he'd be in the basement drinking alone, staring off into space for hours. And you know, if they did have, if they did interact, it usually led to confrontation. Um, And it just all frightened her. She said that he didn't even seem present. This is a quote from the book um, that we've been reading called The Good Nurse. A cool blankness, a look that belied any feelings of love she might have imagined her husband still harbored for her. Sometimes Charlie's eyes would drift apart, watching two separate directions, as if each eye belonged to a separate being. Courtney, do you think she's describing catching him in the act of disassociation and that's you know another BPD trait.
0: Um, It's definitely possible that these could be episodes of dissociation um, which is defined as an episode of kind of being detached from your normal mental processes such as thoughts, emotions, and sensations. Um, And dissociation, it typically occurs as a defense mechanism to protect a person from memories, events, or emotions that are just too overwhelming and painful for an individual to handle and so it's pretty common with people with PTSD and BPD um, as a response to the trauma memories or the very intense emotions that they experience.
1: Right so
0: Adrian was really
1: starting to have anxiety about Charlie's behavior and um, their neighborhood dog was actually poisoned and died next to their house and she suspected Charlie to have done it. She found photos that she had taken of their daughter with her little friends, and Charlie had cut out and removed all of the little boys from the photographs. Uh, which she said it was just very creepy. This, along with his drinking, his zoning out, his hiding in the basement, it really started to take a toll on their marriage. So uh, February 11th, 1991, a pharmaceutical nurse named Pam found a suspicious IV bag and brought it to the attention of the risk manager. And this was at the hospital Charlie worked at, St. Barnabas. It looked like the port on the saline um, slash heparin bag had been used, but the bag itself was full. So the port looked like it had been used, but the bag wasn't empty at all. So it didn't make sense. Um, And it was supposed to just be saline and heparin in there. When they sent the bag to be tested, they found that there was insulin in the bag as well. And then a couple days later, Anna Byers, a critical care unit patient, was put on an IV of that saline heparin. And um, so heparin's an anticoagulant, it's a blood thinner, it prevents clots, a lot of times people get it before surgeries. Anyhow, so after 30 minutes on the strip, the patient became confused, nauseous, weak, she was covered in a cold sweat. Um, They did labs to see what was going on, and the labs showed that her insulin, insulin levels were extremely high. So to bring the insulin levels down, she was giving orange juice, um, hoping to level it out, and that didn't work. So then she was giving basically an IV of sugar um, directly into her bloodstream, hoping that would level out her levels. So this prevented her from dying, um, but she was still suffering from too much insulin. So basically she had two IV bags, one with what was heparin and saline, and one what was like dexatrose, so like this, sugar stuff to counter out this insane insulin levels that she was having that they can't figure it out um so she was supposed to have surgery the following morning but at this rate it wasn't going to happen her doctor ordered her heparin drip to be removed because of this and once you know it her insulin levels evened out so he was like okay well maybe she can have surgery so after a few hours they put her back on the heparin drip and she started to destabilize again so the nurses were feeding her sugar water, um, you know, doing everything they could to bring her insulin down. They were not understanding why they were so high. This is a quote. She'd stabilize and crash, wooze in and out. By 11 p.m. there wasn't enough sugar left in her blood to even get a reading. Her body had burned it all, leaving nothing for her brain. She was ready to code. Because of this eventuality of her coding, the nurses again unhooked her from her drips. They took her down to the ICU. But within 20 minutes of her being off that drip, she felt better. So during this time, another patient was suffering the same ailment, insulin levels off the charts. He was throwing up the orange juice he was given. Um, The the dextrotose was also given at the same time as the heparin in in order to keep the insulin levels down. They just didn't, didn't understand. This was not what was supposed to be happening. So it wasn't until 7 p.m. the next evening that they figured out that something was wrong with the heparin bags. Both came back positive for insulin, and they were able to see under a microscope needle punctures in the bags. And after further investigation, the staff realized that their number of codes had shot up over the last few months dramatically. Though at this time they had no casualties that they knew of, they discovered that patients were in fact crashing with, regular, with regularity. For months, codes had become so frequent that they overlapped the CC, CCU nurses, critical care unit nurses, would need to leave one code to attend another. This is a quote. So Charlie would later confess to killing several people at St. Barnabas, including an AIDS patient, with an overdose of insulin. So these were his first kills that he admitted to, and he was using insulin to do so.
0: Right, but at the time they <clears> weren't linked <throat> to him. No, no,
1: he, yeah. They just were like, someone's tampered with his bags, and they, they, it took a while to figure that out even. So I just want to say personally, I worked at an EK excuse me, I worked as an EKG tech for about six months at a level three trauma center, which is a a smaller hospital, right? Big cases weren't transferred to us and we didn't have the equipment or a neurologist on staff or a NICU, but we did have an emergency department and we had an adult ICU. Anyway, in my six months there, I was only called to one code, right? And let me tell you, that was super intense for me, life and death. I am not an adrenaline junkie and actually after that code I decided that I this job wasn't for me and I resigned. <laughs> but what my point is I can't imagine being called from code to code to code to code. It just seems, you know, insane.
0: It would probably be really traumatic yeah. for the, you know, care providers who did have to do that.
1: Well, I have to tell you there are some that really do enjoy going on codes, but even multiple codes in a row. It's hard if you have to do CPR CPR on a patient It is very tiring. Oh, yeah. They don't show that in the shows. It (laughs) takes a lot of effort. Exactly. So having to do multiple codes in one day would be exhausting. Right? So, okay, back to um, the hospital. The hospital launched an investigation into these findings, and they were able to determine that it was synthetic insulin in all of the patients. So they knew that it was given to them. Their body did not create it. They were able to rule out visitors as who gave it to them, and then they started looking into the staff. So there were three staff members that were, that were around on the days that they had their codes, and one of them was Charlie. The investigators were actually most interested in Charlie because when he was interviewed about the goings-ons, he seemed uninterested, unconcerned, detached even— the other staff were worried and anxious, afraid they'd get the blame, afraid that they hurt somebody or they'd get fired. Um, but Charlie had this to say after he was told, oh, apologize. So one of the investigators said this to Charlie, quote, I know you're putting something in those bags. And Charlie, re- Charlie responded with, quote, you can't prove anything. I don't need to talk to you. He then left the interview Charlie was actually a contracted employee and not an actual hospital employee. So he didn't have regular shifts. So he's basically on call, but he got called in a lot because nurses at this time, just so you know, as they are now, were in short supply and high demand. So the hospital just decided, uh, just decided to stop calling him in. So he wasn't technically fired because he wasn't an actual employee. Um, they just kind of suspected he was responsible for all of these patients coding and possibly some that have died and everything and they just didn't want to deal with him anymore. So they just stopped calling him in. And after that, the irregularities at the hospital stopped. Nothing further was looked into. Charlie was someone else's problem now. So Courtney, any thoughts? Charlie expresses that he waited around to be caught, but either the hospital staff was too stupid. That was his term. Or they were too worried about a lawsuit to pursue it beyond not calling him in for further shifts.
0: When we look at you know Charlie's response to being accused of tampering with the IV bags, it's pretty clear that he is able to completely detach himself from his emotions, but did still understand that there probably should have been consequences for his actions. And you know, after watching interviews with him, you know there are definitely some available um, to watch and it really does seem like there's a part of him that really wanted to get caught, Mm -hmm. like a part that didn't want to give in to that urge to kill anymore. Um, And, you know, this may be connected to his frequent suicide attempts as well, knowing that, you know, if he were dead, then he wouldn't be a risk to others anymore.
1: He is definitely um, different from some of these other, all of the other killers we've looked at.
0: Right. There's not, like, that sense of, like, pride mm-hmm. about what he's done that you, you, we've seen with other ones. Right.
1: So, to I just want to reiterate this in case I didn't make it clear. A hospital pretty much nailed down who was poisoning patients and didn't do anything beyond not scheduling him. There was a nursing board. They could have, re, you know, re, reported to the nursing board. They could have reported to the police. They didn't. They just stopped scheduling him and pushed him on to someone else okay so (laughs) two weeks later charlie found a job at warren hospital he did not lie on his application when he listed his dates of employment at saint barnabas as 587 to 192. january of 1992 was when they stopped calling him in so that was technically his end of employment with them charlie indicated that they could call his previous employer and even use saint barnabas as a reference Charlie explained that he left the other job because of the commute. Um, I don't know if they called them or not, but Charlie was offered the job and he actually got a higher rate of pay. So Charlie and Adrian had a second daughter in December of 1991. After he was hired at the new job, things were going a little better for them for a while. But eventually Charlie's drinking became the focus of their problems. Adrian encouraged Charlie to go into an inpatient facility for drinking or to join Alcoholics Anonymous. But the problem was Charlie did not want to stop drinking. And, Courtney, we know that an alcoholic or any drug addict is not going to stop unless they want to.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Charlie did not stop trying to get attention, however. He would throw himself dramatically on the couch, wait until his wife walked by, then open his mouth, which were full of lots of pills. They would then spill out of his mouth, onto his shirt, Adrian was used to seeing these head games or whatnot for attention, and she would just ignore him, walk over Charlie, and go about her business. Charlie would be hurt because Adrian's lack of response, and Adrian would come to hate Charlie more and more for this behavior. I don't blame her. Um, in November of 1992, Adrian was done. She wasn't sure how to handle the situation. How to handle the situation situation sorry so she went to a lawyer before confronting Charlie. Adrian had a gallbladder surgery removal scheduled at the hospital that Charlie was working at and she was actually scared to be there while he was working. She was convinced now that he had killed the neighbor's dog and perhaps done worse. Her father accompanied her to the surgery and was told not to allow anyone especially Charlie into her room and that same day of her surgery Charlie was served with divorce papers at the hospital so this greatly humiliated charlie and um, charlie did go and try to talk to her but her dad would not let him in so even when she was discharged her dad stayed with her until she was healed and would not charlie or would not allow charlie anywhere near his daughter so eventually it was agreed that charlie would be moving out and soon early in 1993 Adrienne decided she would um, or that she should probably file a police report just so there was a paper trail of her suspicions so she spoke to the cops of his drinking problems, the weird termination from St. Barnabas, the poisoned dog, the fact that he bragged about poisoning his sister's boyfriend as a child, everything she could think of that, <clears throat> um, she, that she thought would be important. She also insinuated that there was domestic abuse. She told them about his rash of suicide attempts. In response to all of this, Charlie took 20 pills and washed it down with a bottle of red wine. He would show her. Courtney, is there anything you want to say about this type of suicidal behavior? At this point, we can
0: see he seems to be doing this to garner attention. Do you agree? To a certain degree. Um, You know, for Charlie, his wife's filing for divorce would trigger that intense fear of abandonment that goes along with BPD. And in response to that, he would probably feel the need to make bigger and bigger gestures in order to try and prevent that from happening. You know, Typically, people get a lot of positive attention and reassurance and declarations, though, I still love you and I'm here for you, when they talk about or make suicidal gestures. Um, And if it seems very manipulative, I mean, it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's also reflective of how Charlie had to learn to get his needs met, you know, in a family where he couldn't just ask for what he wanted. And, you know, additionally, it should also be noted that Charlie probably really did feel suicidal. You know, people with borderline personality disorder experience their emotions very intensely. You know, I've heard it described as if they have, quote, like, no emotional skin, so all of their emotional nerve endings are just exposed all the time, end quote. And so Charlie probably was experiencing very intense feelings of hurt, sadness, and anger, and the desire to die and end this pain was probably very real to him.
1: So this suicide attempt actually did land him into the ICU at Warren Hospital, so his place of work. Uh, Michelle Tomlinson was a fellow nurse that worked with Charlie, and she would come to visit him in the ICU. Michelle convinced him to transfer to a different facility that she was sure Charlie would like better, and so he did. Michelle would visit him often at Muhlenberg, um, the name of this facility, Charlie was able to put on the self-deprecating charm while recovering in this new facility, you know, the the stuff that uh, endeared him to Michelle. So when Michelle came to visit, he would make her laugh and make her feel pity for him. She saw him as a wounded baby baby bird. So when Charlie got out of this psychiatric hospital, he had new living arrangements worked out. So he had moved out of, um, of Adrian's. He had dealt with the divorce. He was now starting a new chapter. He was actually a little bit excited. And when charlie returned to work he became very clingy with michelle the two of them had seen um, had seen the two of them had much in common they both had kind of bad childhoods and they would um, spend a lot of time comparing sob stories from their lives eventually she agreed to have dinner with charlie just one time she said so charlie being in the idealization phase again was convinced that michelle was his soulmate. he was in love Charlie knew Michelle liked brownies, so he brought her brownies every day at work. When she stopped responding to his brownies, he started bringing in little love gifts. They worked together three nights a week. He tried to get them um, more shifts together, but... Sorry, that was my phone. (laughs) But that didn't happen. Um, So he would come in on his off nights just to be around her. Soon after this, he bought an engagement ring and told her he loved her. So this made Michelle very uncomfortable. She started to make herself busy with her patients and unavailable to Charlie. She actually left that shift, the one where he brought the ring in and without saying goodbye, she just scooted out of there. Charlie called her house but got no answer. He continued to follow her around at work. Charlie was convinced that the reason she was no longer responsive responsive to him was because she must be depressed. He called her house over and over for hours until finally Michelle's ex-boyfriend, Jerry, called Charlie back and told him to lay off and leave her alone. Michelle was very upset. She was bordering on hysterical because of Charlie's harassment. Charlie convinced himself that Michelle was in trouble and she was needing his help. Anything you want to say about that?
0: I think let's keep going with the story and then we'll we'll talk about it a little. On March twenty third,
1: 1993, Charlie cased out Michelle's condo. He drove drove around for hours, waiting for her to be visible through the window. He was then concerned that maybe she tried to call him. So he headed back the 40 minutes to his own place to check his machine. This was before cell phones. He called her that night again, leaving her long messages, then drove back to her condo. He saw her car and the light on, then drove back to his apartment to see if she had called him. He called her again. It was pretty late by now, so he drove back to her place, got out of his car, looked into her windows... He tried to open the back door, but it was locked, so he used, you know, a brick to open the window, or rather break the window so he could enter. Michelle was in her bed sleeping. Her son was down the hall in bed. Charlie watched her for a while and then left. He waited until it was morning, then called Michelle again. This time she answered, and she was really upset because someone had broken into her house. There was glass everywhere. Charlie confessed that it was him who had broken into her condo because he was confessed convinced that she was needing him in some way to save for him to save her. Michelle called the police who then called Charlie and asked him to come by the station. Okay. So he admitted to Michelle, I'm just recapping. He admitted to Michelle that he was the one that broke in because he was afraid that she needed him. She then was like, you cray. I'm calling the police. So Charlie decided that this was another good time For a suicide attempt, right? The cops had called him and asked him to come down to the the station. What better way to show Michelle how much he cared than by almost dying in jail? Because they would, of course, save him and he'd be okay. Charlie timed it so that he took a bunch of Xanax and Darvissets right before he went to the station because he figured, okay, the time that this all kicks in, I will be in the jail cell. And then they'll, you know, rescue me. The problem was, though, they weren't going to book him. They were just going to ask him some questions and then let him go. So they let him go right when the medications were starting to hit and he was in his car. And he didn't want to waste this very special suicidal opportunity. So the only number he knew by heart um, was his child's or his children's babysitter. And so he called her and then told her to send an ambulance. So he was admitted to the hospital's ER, but then transferred to a psychiatric hospital where he spent a couple of months. All right, Courtney. That's the end of that story. So what are you thinking about Charlie's behavior? Any new diagnosis you like to explore? Also, what the F? The police didn't even arrest Charlie at that time for stalking and breaking into Michelle's condo. He admitted to it. He assumed he was going to go to the jail that day. I don't even know why I'm surprised.
0: Yeah. Um, so I want to make it clear before anything else that this level of stalking and harassment is not typical of people with borderline personality disorder. And most people with BPD are not dangerous at all. Um, So that being said, with the situation with Michelle, I believe that Charlie's infatuation with her um, developed into a delusional disorder called erotomania, um, which is the belief that a person is in love with or in a relationship with him despite there being clear evidence to the contrary, um, which seems to pretty much... The situation where you know he believed like she's my soulmate, Mm -hmm. she needs me, um, all of these things when she made it very clear that she did not.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and so this delusion is actually associated very closely with stalking behavior. And so a lot of like the big um like stalking cases we hear about of like people stalking celebrities and things like that, um, people would most likely qualify for erotomania. and, you know, as for the police response, um, I'm rolling my eyes really hard with you right now because we've seen time and time again that authorities just don't take women's reports of stalking very seriously. I mean, he thought he was going to jail. Like, Yeah, he knew that he had done something wrong. <laughs> right. This was another time where, like, he was almost, like, daring someone mm-hmm. to catch him. Right, which we see a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he has
1: borderline personality disorder, most likely, that has a urato...
0: So, an additional delusional disorder called erotomania.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, are those two necessarily commonly tied together, or are we talking two different things? Two different things. Okay. Well, that's neat. Another new disorder. Mm -hmm. Woo! Okay. So, (laughs) by April of 1993, Charlie had made some somewhat... Okay, so... This is after he was admitted and then he was transferred to um, a psychiatric hospital. So this is April of 93. So Charlie had made a home for himself at the New Jersey State Lunatic Asylum at Morristown, AKA Greystone Psychiatric Hospital. So he was now in an intensive inpatient program for his for his repeated suicide attempts. Charlie was actually happy here. He felt less stressed and he never had to struggle for validation or recognition. One day while there, he got a phone call it was the warren hospital switchboard so that's the hospital he had been working at he figured they were calling to fire him he had after all been responsible for at least two patient deaths but the hospital at this time didn't know that but he thought maybe they figured that out Um, but they had been quiet deaths so we thought well maybe that's not it but his work was less than stellar since most of his shifts he was mooning over michelle and neglecting his duties and the whole staff, including the HR department, was aware of his stalking of a coworker, his breaking and entering into her house, and that his babysitter had brought him to the ER for his suicide attempt while he was at the police station um, before his transfer to the psychiatric facility. So Warren Hospital did not want to talk to him about any of this, however... They deliberately called a suicidal patient at a psychiatric facility who was facing stalking charges and a possible breaking and entering charge to find out when he could be cleared to come back to work. Oh, I forgot to mention that Michelle got a restraining order against him. So even if they did work together, they were not allowed in the same vicinity at their job. Could make things difficult. One last thing, his wife also had a restraining order against him. So, hmm, how hard up must this hospital have been to bring back this murdering train wreck of a human being? Not long after, um, he pled guilty to trespass and harassment of Michelle. He got a fine and prob- and probation, no jail time. Oh, and he decided once again to commit suicide after that, or attempt it,
0: Courtney. You know, I I know there's pretty much always a shortage of nurses in the medical field, but this is just too much. Charlie was practically begging to be caught and arrested and stopped, but nobody took him seriously. And by this point, due to his many, many suicide attempts, you know, the people in his life likely also stopped taking those seriously. You know, chronic suicidality, um, especially within borderline personality disorder, can really make those around a person desensitized to it, you know, especially when the attempts do not have a super strong like medical impact or considered like low lethality, like you're unlikely to die from mm-hmm. what you did, um, and so it kind of becomes like a boy who cried wolf situation. Unfortunately, you know, as a you know mental health professional, I have to take any sort of mention or attempt of suicide very, very seriously, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, when it's over and over, it's easy to just, like, write it off as whatever. It's just Charlie being Charlie again. I mean,
1: this guy has, in weird ways, asked for help multiple, multiple times in destructive ways. Mm -hmm. But he could have been stopped, should have been stopped long ago. Right. I mean, at this point, so he knows he Mm -hmm. killed at least two people at Warren Hospital... And there were people at Saint Barnabas he killed. He's not keeping track, and the hospitals don't really know either. But he ha- is on his second hospital, and he's killed
0: multiple people, yeah. at least four, yeah, that we know of. Right. So, um,
1: anyways, that's where we're going to stop for the day, and we will pick up next week with just I don't, know, I don't even wanna. We'll, well, you'll see. It's it. The story is crazy. It just gets crazier. It just gets crazier. But I do want to say, um, and we'll see this as we go through, that Charlie is not a narcissist, and it's kind of refreshing to have, a have a, you know, that not on the table. I don't know.
0: It is. It's a different, like, pathology mm-hmm. to look at. Like, he's he's killing for different reasons. Yes.
1: Definitely not a sexual component.
0: Nope. Not at all. Yeah. He doesn't have a type. Yep. Yeah. So, anyhow,
1: um thank you for listening. Please uh, you know, list, l- <laughs> like, follow, subscribe, send us comments, suggestions, compliments, any of that stuff. We love to hear from you guys. We really do. So,
0: all right. All right. Yes. Thank, thank you. you.
1: We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.